thank you so much for moving forward. I'm feeling love from several of you. Appreciate that. Okay, let, let's pray. Lord, you, Lord, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for this, this church family, for, for your body, for the, the friendly interactions that we get to have with one another, for the love that you can feel uh, in the room for each other. And, and it's a manifestation of your presence, Lord, that it, it's because of the work that you do in us and we give you all credit and glory and honor. We, we love you, Lord. We're here to love you. We are here to receive your love. We're here to receive your word and the, and the way that you use your word and, and send your spirit to draw us closer to yourself, to make us more like Jesus. Would you make sure that that happens this morning and that you get all credit and glory and honor and praise because of it? Would you have your way through this time? Would you make sure that your word is clearly heard and that it goes to hearts um, that are soft and ready to receive what you want to say and what you want to do in us. Make us more like Jesus through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please grab your Bibles? I really hope you have them, whether you're going to have a, a print copy or, or something digital. Would you open them up to John chapter 8, please? I was going to preach this message on uh, Easter Sunday, and, and things got, uh, as you know, in my family, some plans got changed up. Jeff Gowdy ended up speaking here last week, which was a, a blessing. I just enjoy him. Um, but I, I had initially lined up this passage for Resurrection Sunday, because this passage with the, the woman caught in adultery is very much cross and resurrection together. As you see that she receives her life back, as you see the way that God interacts over sin and what he does with it. And so on, I had, I had lined it up for that particular week. Um, but it, it's good to be speaking on it today. I have looked forward to preaching this message for a long time because of this, just this passage is just amazing. And yet when I was talking with a pastor friend a, a couple of, uh, not too long ago, I, I said I was going to be speaking on this particular passage. And the pastor said to me, I could never preach on that passage um, because it's in square brackets. Do you see the double square brackets around this particular passage? Chapter seven, starting at verse 53 to the end of chapter eight, verse 11. It's in double square brackets. And so what I have to do is spend a little bit of time helping you understand what those double square brackets mean and what the footnote means at the bottom of that page. Do you see the footnote in your particular translation? I'm gonna help us understand both what that means and why I'm still preaching from it. Because my friend said he couldn't. So we're going to talk about something called text criticism for a little bit. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to simplify this way, way, way down. I'm going to try and do it quickly, and I'm going to get you guys to, to interact over this. Um, this is much more complex than what I am actually, the exercise I'm going to lead us through. Um, but it, it should at least give you a little bit of more of an understanding of how we got our New Testaments. Um, because God didn't just email his final copy to Zondervan for them to print out and give to you. Okay, there was much more of a transmission process and it involved humans. Okay, 
And so as much as God did inspire his word and has shepherded it down down through the ages, protecting it, um, there is a human involvement in that process that means that some of the things that humans bring to the equation creeps in as well. And so that ends up being why you see double square brackets around this. Um, because some people aren't so sure that this is God's word. So I want to explain that process a little bit to you, okay? So I'm going to come down. We're going we're gonna to do this, okay? So this is, picture, picture this sticky note as the original gospel of John written by John and his scribe, okay? God inspires John to write the gospel of John. And what John does is he passes it off we're going to go like this. Actually, I'm going to give you the whole stack. He passes it off to his first community of people. Now, the gospel of John represented uh, is going to go to John's first community represented here by Noah. Okay? Hold up, John. All right? Noah is, is John's first community, and he is going to share that gospel of John with the other communities that John the apostle oversees. So, Noah, hold the first one that has the sticky note with the J on it, and then pass the rest of the stack to your mom there. Okay, so Sandra, you take one. What what just happened here was that the original gospel, inspired by God, written down by John and his scribe, passed on to a community. Another community wanted it. So they had to make a copy, right? So they made a copy. It went to Sandra, okay? Next one over, they want a copy too. So they're going to copy either from the original or they're going to copy from a copy, all right? And so now Davis has got it. So now Davis, you hand the next one back to Kristen, okay? We're going to keep that stack going. This is the Gospel of Luke, all right? I'm going to hand it off to Ralph here. Ralph, you're going to do the same thing. You're getting the original copy, and then Bev is going to make a copy of your copy, all right? So go a couple of down and then pass it back. Transmission took time. It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of money, actually, as well. So copies were rare. It, it was an expensive process to, to do that. It wasn't copy and paste, right? It was a very expensive process involving human effort, okay? So these two first rows, picture that as sort of that first decade of or so of you know the gospel being passed written down and then distributed among the communities that that Luke and that John were overseeing these people are following Jesus they're spreading out you know remember John oversaw numerous cities right he writes in revelation to the letter to the seven churches to Ephesus and Thyatira and and so on all of those cities so they they want copies right so they're making copies of copies so that's the first decade But then time passes on and it's the good news spreads. So it goes to the next decade. So you guys are the next row, right? And you started, have you passed your copies along? Most of you have sticky notes in this row. Susanna's passing it along there. You guys are getting copies of Luke. You guys are getting copies of John. We're going to stop there now. Great. As we're moving now through time, 
You can just pause there for, net, for a minute, Phil. That's great. Thank you. As we're moving through time and the copies are being made from copies, you can give me back the original John. Give me back the original Luke, okay? Original John and original Luke are lost, right? God made sure that we didn't have the original handwritten ones, probably so we wouldn't idolize them and worship them and all that. Whatever the case may be, the original ones are lost. And so all that's left are copies of copies of the original, okay? We start with fewer, and then there are more and more copies of copies made. At some point in the process, what happens is that perhaps someone comes and says, hey, guys, I have this story of Jesus. I, don't, I see that you don't have it written down. This is a story about this woman caught in adultery. And, and they think, that, that appears to be an authentic Jesus story, but it hasn't been written down by the apostle. So it's not in our copy. But they think it goes back to Jesus. And so what they do is, here, Phil, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this stack. I'm going to stick one on your copy, and then I'll pass it back, okay? So now from here on, you hold that. We're going to stick this little pink story on top of your gospel, right? We're going to stick this little pink story on top of your gospel, all right? So now he has John plus this story of the woman caught in adultery. But now here, as these copies continue going on, some are going to be copying from Phil, and some are going to be copying from Kevin. And so as you guys pass on your copies, what you're now going to do is you're going to stick a sticky note with the woman caught in adultery onto yours. And so some of the manuscripts that are going to get passed down are now going to have more in them than what they started with. Okay? That's, this is part of the discipline of understanding text criticism. Okay, And so, as you see in the footnote to your NIV, it's in double square brackets, and the, either the footnote or the, um, the margin note here will say, The earliest manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have this story, either in whole or in part. And a few manuscripts include these verses in whole or in part at different places than where it's currently located. So either after John 36, John 7:36, or at the end of the Gospel of John, but it also gets found in Luke at times in a few manuscripts. Not everyone got it, but those who copied from Phil then got it. Okay. Some, some of the original people who were looking at manuscripts thought they marked this passage as doubtful, meaning not, not necessarily that they didn't believe it went back to Jesus, but that they didn't believe it went back to John. And they didn't believe it went back to Luke. But it's an open question of whether or not it goes back to Jesus. Right? John himself will say, that um, in, in the end of the Gospel of John, um, Jesus did many other, other things that are not written in this book. And uh, I suppose that if, uh, if all of them had been written down, the whole world could not contain all the books that would be written. Right? That's not automatic evidence for this particular story being an authentic Jesus story. 
It's simply to say that what we have in our Gospels um, are not all the things that Jesus said and did. Okay? So then we have to ask, why was this put in? If it doesn't look like it went back to at least this copy of John and at least this copy of Luke, like the original ones, the ones that were eventually lost, because earlier is generally considered earlier manuscripts were generally considered better, more reliable, because you have fewer human hands involved in the copying process. The, the further down the line that you get, in other words, the younger the manuscript, younger from our perspective, the more human hands have been involved in it, the more opportunities there are for copying errors, that kind of thing. So we're all um, usually looking for the oldest possible manuscripts because they reflect the few, generally reflect fewer sort of additions being made, errors, et cetera, et cetera. That's just part of the copying process that was involved. But there are other considerations as well. Those are the sort of the external manuscript evidence. But the other question that you ask when looking at manuscripts is, um, what are, what's the internal evidence? Does this look like something that um, coheres with the rest of Scripture? Does it look like the Jesus that we worship and know from other parts of Scripture? And that's the part that I think requires more attention than manuscripts. Because manuscripts only tell part of a story, and it's a very incomplete story as we try to trace, piece together sort of where did this come in? Where did it come from? As we read this story, I ask you, if we weren't talking about manuscripts, would we ever have suspected that this particular story did not reflect Jesus or did not reflect God? Think about that, because that should weigh very, very heavily. This story is, first of all, there's nothing in this story that is not seen elsewhere in Scripture, right? At least in terms of what it teaches, the Jesus, the God that it presents. It, it doesn't, it's not, it, it's not like a doctrine is based on, um, only on this particular passage. We, we find the same things being taught in other parts of Scripture. Okay. And what we see here, because of that, I suggest to you should be weighed more heavily than simply manuscript traditions. But I had to help you understand in, uh, at a basic level sort of why you're getting that footnote and why my friend could rightly say, um, you know what, I'm just not comfortable preaching that because I'm not sure enough that it was inspired by God. Now he's equating inspiration by God with authorship from John and authorship from Luke. That is not exactly those, a lot of overlap there, but that's not exactly the same thing. You can talk to me more about that later if you want more clarity on that. But we're going to read this, this, this passage. We're going to ask the Lord to speak to us from it. And then you go be the judge whether or not this is just a human passage or whether it is reflective of the God that we worship. I am convinced that it is reflective of the God that we worship. So John 7, verse 53. Then each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. 
All the people came to him and sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and and making her stand before all of them, they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. While they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Jesus, she said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. I think this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a trap, right? We have seen the the scribes and the Pharisees try to set Jesus up with a trap before. You remember the trap in, I believe it's Matthew, where they showed Jesus, uh, where they, they asked Jesus, you know, should we... Um, should we pay taxes or not? And no matter his answer, he's going to be in trouble, right? We, it's a similar trap here. Should we follow the law or not? Because the law is explicit. Um, people caught in adultery are to be stoned. They're not wrong. They're following the law. The only part that's slightly gray is that it takes two to tango and there's only one here, right? And that's, that's sort of the gray area where interpretation and then application of the law gets a little bit tricky. And that's, I think, the place on which they're hoping to trip up Jesus. But it's fascinating, you know, it's a trap, but they're not wrong. And as we move through the story, what I find fascinating is that the people who are wrong are not wrong. You see what I mean? This story, the people who are the most wrong in this story are not wrong. How often maybe do you and I start out on a point that's completely right and we end up going wrong? That's a humbling thought to me, to me makes my living on being right. Oh dear. That's a humbling point. Jesus' response to them is fascinating. They're pestering him for an answer, but Jesus' answer is to stoop down and begin to write in the ground. He writes And then they keep pestering him. So he stands up and says, let the one who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And then he stoops down again and continues to write. It's probably not going to be immediately apparent that this is a reference to something. But this is one of the reasons why I think this is authentic John, even though it may not have started 
with the um, with him writing it down. Because this is John at his best in terms of using imagery and puns and biblical references to make a point. It's just, it's incredible. Okay? Let me walk you through this. Where in the Old Testament have you seen someone write with their finger? Mount Sinai. God, and what does God write? The Ten Commandments, right? Ten words. Yep. Okay, but I'm going for Sinai, so he got the right answer. But you are also correct, but I am not going in that direction. So thank you, Lionel. So we're going to keep the Exodus story in mind because that's the one that John is gesturing towards. That's the one that Jesus is making an oblique reference to by what he's doing. God writes with his finger the 10 words, right? The 10 commandments. Moses comes down the mountain. He has to write them a second time, doesn't he? So he writes the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament twice. And what happened in the middle? Why do you have to write them a second time? Moses got angry and wrote, yes. So is Moses just pitching a hissy fit? Or is Moses doing something that is that is sort of like a parabolic action, a metaphorical action. What are they doing that makes Moses, they're sinning, more specifically? They're worshiping an idol. Okay, they're worshiping an idol. What in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, is idolatry compared to? Adultery. Are you starting to see the connection here between these two stories? Moses has to write a second time because the first time the people were committing adultery against God by committing idolatry, they're breaking a covenant, right? Adultery is breaking a covenant. Moses smashes the Ten Commandments because the people have broken the covenant. It's a symbolic action. So Moses goes back up the mountain and God once again writes the same thing with his finger. Jesus is bending down, writing in the sand. He gets up and says something, and he gets down again and writes again. It's a symbolic action. It's a way of telling the people who are religious experts, you guys are accusing this woman of adultery. Well, she, she has committed adultery, and you want to punish her. But what's the gesture showing them? that all of Israel, especially the religious leaders, were already guilty of adultery back at the Exodus, right? Jesus is saying, all of you have done the same thing. She got 
caught. And you didn't, he says. All by this action. She got caught in adultery. But the writing, the pause, the writing again, the reference back is saying, all of Israel were adulterers because every single one of them broke covenant by committing idolatry. What Jesus does is expose the religious people's hypocrisy that they think they are better than this woman caught in adultery and don't even realize that they are in the exact same position. So that blows my mind in terms of like the brilliance of Jesus, the brilliance of John, the amazing connection between Old Testament and New Testament and what Jesus is doing there. So I I acknowledge that, but then I go, what's that saying about me? What's that saying about us? A couple of weeks ago, um, our, our Sunday night group, we're out um, praying over those mostly who are homeless. Um, and so a number of weeks ago, a, a few of us were just interacting with a couple of guys. Um, it was just freezing cold. We're offering them hot chocolate. We're just having some conversation. And a woman comes up to us and um, she's like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, well, we're just praying over these guys. And, you know, what's going on with you? What are you up to? And she's like, well, just unashamedly, oh, I'm out here selling my love. I didn't know what to say. And she very quickly could tell no one there was buying. And and moved on. And it'd be really easy to go, yep, sort of look down on this person. But what this, this text is showing us is that everyone bought. right? We've all bought in one form or another. There's a hypocrisy that that gets exposed if we start looking down on those who have sinned in ways that got exposed and the rest of us have just hidden it better. And Jesus shows it. This passage just calls us out. Wow. Well, the religious leaders, to their credit in this passage, seem to recognize the point Jesus is making. And they go away, beginning with the one responsible for throwing the first stone until they've all left who would have been responsible, but who couldn't based on the way Jesus responded. And they all leave. And Jesus gets up from writing in the ground a second time. And he looks around and he says to the woman, has no one, has no one condemned you? And she responds, no one. And the only person who could have condemned her and the only person who could have thrown the stone says, I don't. Neither do I condemn you. 
the only one who could have. Friends, stop stoning yourself. I see it so often in my own life that I have grace for other people because Jesus offers grace to other people, but I don't have it for myself. And I'm quite happy to let the adulterous woman go with blessings and the grace of Jesus. And I look in the mirror and I say, but you don't get grace. Stop stoning yourself. Because if Jesus does not condemn and we stone ourselves, we have set ourselves above Jesus. Because now our judgment is better than his. If I condemn myself, stop condemning yourself. Because Jesus himself said, neither do I condemn you. There is grace for everyone else in this room and for me. And the same goes for you too. More than enough grace. And I, I, love, I love the Jesus I see in this. Go and sin no more. He didn't let her off the hook and say, oh, it wasn't actually sin. He called it sin and found a way to extend grace and mercy at the same time. Well, may I do that in parenting more? Psalm 145, I just love it. It says, the Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. And here we see that exemplified perfectly. He is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. Go and sin no more. What a blessing. So I ask you again, leaving the manuscripts aside, is there anything about this passage This Jesus, you'd say, I don't think that reflects God. I don't think that, seriously? If we didn't have manuscripts, no one would have questioned that this story was Jesus. This is the God we serve. And I love him for it. I'm going to give you a moment just to sit with this and Jesus. And let him tell you himself, stop stoning yourself. Lord, I think of that, that's, that song that says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. 
And Lord, I, I thank you for it. It's these, these glimpses of Jesus where he exemplifies your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your holiness and your justice all together in one that just makes me worship you. You are amazing. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we worship you. Thank you that there is not simply grace for us to become a Christian. There is grace every step of the way after that. Thank you that you are better than us. And thank you for this amazing story where we see so much of you. We love you, Lord. Lord, as we, as we continue to mull over this passage, as we continue to reflect on who you are, would you, would you show us the steps forward for the, that we might be like I trust this woman was, um, stepping into a new life where we follow what you said to go and sin no more. And may it be all because of the kindness that you have shown us, the kindness that leads to repentance. Guide us as we go forward with you that we might offer you all of ourselves because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in worship. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge, any accusation against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? It is Christ who died, or rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is constantly still interceding on our behalf for you. So who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, friends. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord, and may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit carry you through this week. Have a great week. Anyone wants prayer, be happy to pray for you. Have a great week.